475, make it five. Anybody can actually make money. Five trillion dollars. Property, people, profit. How good is this? Episode one, I'm Jamie Burnett and sitting across from me, uh, a bloke I like to spend a lot of time with, but probably better introduced as property analyst and commentator, Gavin Hegney. Hey Gav. Jamie, welcome to the lounge room. Yeah, thank you. We're at your place. Thanks for inviting me in. Yeah, There's a good reason that we're here too, isn't it? You know, basically we're going to be talking about principal residences and your own home and why not talk about your own home first because uh, I thought, well, the decision making that goes into your own home... Um, probably goes into everyone's home at some stage during their life. Well, thanks for inviting us in. I remember when we were having a chat about this and we want to talk about your principal residence, why it's so important to, to get it right and how it can be the best investment tool you ever have. But uh, I said, why don't we do the first one at your place, Gav? It was maybe a little abrupt, a little bit uh, audacious. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, we all go through, you know, our own decision-making process, I suppose. And when I bought the home, I was like everyone else you know, in an emotional state, trying to buy a home. And I had all the training in the world and all the knowledge in the world, yet I still went down the same road that everyone goes through and you're making offers and, you know, organising finance and trying to get family on board and, you know, kids are choosing bedrooms and, you know, trying to compare it with something else and trying to not let on too much to the real estate agent that you love the property and you want to buy it because you're negotiating at the same time. So, yeah, if welcome to the world of buying real estate. That makes me feel so much better. But here's Gavin Hegney, who I hear giving advice, telling me the things I should do. But when he was looking for a place for himself, the emotions still took hold and he had to battle to, you know, not have the kids picking rooms before you'd signed the deal. Hey, I, you know, there's a, there's a footpath across the road. And I walked up and down that footpath <laughs> with my, my neck turned towards this property so many days before I actually uh, moved ahead on, moved, moved on the property. So... You know, for those of you that have stalked a property and sat outside and gone back and gone back again and, and gone back when there's, when there's traffic or when there's, you know, kids going to school or at night or watch the sunsets or whatever it may be, uh, yeah, not a bad idea. It helps you get a feel for what it's like to live in that property or what it's like to be in that location. Talk to the neighbours, you know. You know, you kind of want to talk to the neighbours but you kind of don't want to disclose to the neighbours that you're actually looking at that property in case, you know, you, you, you generate more competition. So, hey... So at some stage, talk to the neighbours around the place as well. They know, they know what's going on in the area better than you're going to ever know. It's funny, you just got to get over that human part of feeling a bit awkward about doing it, knocking on the door of someone you don't know and kind of asking pretty direct questions about the place that you're looking at and what's the street like and what the area's like. Well, do you think you're in an emotional, a sound emotional state at that stage when you're trying <laughs> to make a major financial decision on your own home and there's so much riding on it, you're not exactly going to be level-headed and... You may not be at your best, you which is be. which is interesting, you know. Like, so if you're not at your best in that scenario, uh, get someone alongside you who might can just give you that level of reason as well. That can just keep you on the rails, but importantly, maybe stop you making a stupid mistake, which in an emotional state we often do. Yeah, um, we're at your place today. Um, we're not going to be here every week. We're going to go see some other places as well, and that's what we're we're going to do. We're going to get outside of the studio because that's kind of boring, and we're going to go to where property really lives. We're going to be inside homes, we're going to go to new subdivisions, we're going to even get out on the road in the car and take people for a drive around the suburbs. Yeah, well, I just thought, what a simple way to convey the things that I've learned in over 30 years of watching market cycles, analysing property, looking at things, yet being able to simplify it to the point where, hey, these are the basics that you need to know and just make sure you've got these covered and don't worry about too much else above there because you can always get complex, but can you get the heart of it right so you know as i always say you know you know there's no point you know 
um, checking out our body if our heart's not working. No heart, no life. So, you know, make sure you get the, the core right. Then you can always make it more complex if you want to. But what are those core things when you're buying your own home? Because your own home is often people's biggest investment. And biggest investment is their store of wealth. I know we hear superannuation all the time. But store of wealth is to tap into, to provide your financial future for not only yourself but for your family that replaces the work that you were doing and gives you time back to enjoy the life that you want. So it plays an extremely important role. And if you get that decision right then it can really set you up for life and two or three really good decisions in life pave the way for you to actually have enough finances to have you know, the second half of your life in really good shape. Yeah, okay. So like you said, you can, you can start simple and you can always add stuff on and get a little more complex. That's kind of how we're going to look at this. Mm. We're going to start with a really basic framework that you've kind of drawn together over your 30 years experience, kind of three golden rules. Yeah. And... Over time, we're going to kind of add more layers to it, more things that you can consider. But we're going to start with this with this framework, really. Uh, has it changed much over 30 years? Well, it hasn't, but it's been refined over 30 years. Okay. So this is 30 years of work into three simple rules. Not bad. So, so it hasn't sort of just come out of nowhere. And, and it's been through the fact that I've analysed properties and analysed all different types of properties in all different markets over many different cycles. And also, I've, you know, I've done the theory. So I've done the three or four years training at you know at university as well as though you know the practical side so you know and i've collected properties more so than invested over the years and worked out you know which ones are the right ones to buy if you actually want to make some money along the way which you know paves the way and creates opportunities for you so it's so important to sort of never take advice from someone who hasn't done it themselves mm-hmm. um, so you know it's i can give you the theory but here's the practical side so a bit of practical and a bit of theoretical that's come up with a simple formula that I use when I'm buying my own principal residence. And um, a little personal too. I love the fact that in the background you can probably hear some cockies which are just out on your veranda causing a bit of a mess. I love that downstairs we can hear some beautiful piano work from your daughter who's practising. This is kind of the personal side of, of property right here. Yeah, yeah. Well, fortunately, she's got to a level of playing the piano that you know she actually can listen to it. Not like you know those early days when you pick up the recorder and watch out, you know, run a mile, get a soundproof room. So uh, no, I didn't need to get a soundproof room when I bought the house. That was for sure. No, it sounded good. Um, Gav, what would you tell uh, Gavin Hagney, the valuer, on day one? Yeah. If you could go back thirty years, what are you telling that guy? Yeah, well, one thing I'd say is that. Um, you know, you start your working life working for your money, but you end your working life with your money working for you, okay? So your money replaces what you do. And don't take that as a sort of a, a, a hit to the ego because, you know, your money can sometimes work, work better than what you can work yourself. Um, so therefore, on the basis that you're going to do that, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, by just taking some money from your income hand to your investment hand and investing it along the way, then make sure you enjoy what you do that puts that income into your hand because the financial side of it will take care of itself by investing. But you need to invest. And the first, most simplest form of investment is saving money. You can't save money, you're never going to invest. So, you know, I was always a saver when I, when I started work, always saving. Now, save towards, you know, first car and then, um, you know, borrowed some money from mum and dad and paid them back and I saved towards a holiday and then I saved towards, you know, surfboard and a few things like that. Might have and saved to a few surfboards if I know you well enough, Gav. Yeah, well, yeah. I should have a look at my shed. I've got <laughs> probably too many there. But And then, look, I was in real estate. I was fortunate I was in property and real estate. So I saved towards my first home and I saved towards buying that home um, 
as a reflection of the lifestyle that I wanted to move towards. So I bought a, an old shack on a big block near the beach. Now, at the time, I had a choice of either buying that or buying a slightly better home up on the hill with a bit of a view or an aspect, but it was a lot further to the beach. I had to get in the car and drive. And they were basically the same price at that time. Early 80s, they were about $41,000 each. And I woke up, you know, sort of five or six years later after a very short and abrupt cycle, and the one up on the hill was probably worth about 110000 The one down near the beach, the location, walking distance without the views, was worth about one hundred and fifty. Right. Now, fortunately, I chose the one location, yeah. walking to the beach rather than the views. So it showed me that views didn't perform as well as location, but views perform better than no views. So sometimes we learn more from what we don't buy than what from we do what we do buy and always benchmark it. So location was the first thing that came out to me was you save your money, you save a deposit, and then through that forced saving you buy the best location that you can and that property was all land value as well, which was really important. And that's probably my first golden rule is that you, you actually see land appreciate over time, yet buildings tend to depreciate over time. They depreciate at about 2% a year. So that's, straight away you can imagine that every dollar you're paying in your buildings component of your real estate is dropping by 2% a year. So you're losing money. And it's only that you, if your land appreciates by more than that, then you, you, you're moving ahead. See, simple scenario, $100,000 worth of buildings and $100,000 worth of land, the property's worth $200,000. If your land is going up at 2% a year and your buildings are dropping at 2% a year, you'll wake up in 10 years' time and it'll still be worth exactly the same, $200,000, although the mix would have changed and it won't be half land, half building. It'll be more land and less building, but it still will be the same value. So that says there's a time to own a property and there's a right mix to have in there. So I always try to buy as close to land value only. Right. That's the first step. Okay. So that means that you know um, it might be not a brand new home, but it might be a slight, slightly older home that I want to do something to, perhaps. And sometimes you get, in some areas, you get a, a situation where you know, there's been a house built on a block, but in that time, it, that block in its location has been rezoned. And it's now maybe suitable for two, three, four, five, six units. And so the land value has lifted considerably, but the value of your property hasn't changed. And that's, the, that's a rather unique feature. Because what's happened is that your value might stay at $500,000, let's say, but now your land value has gone from three to four or $500,000, but the, building, the property's still worth five hundred. But it, now it's worth the same dead or alive. And I know it's a bit of a bizarre situation to be in, but it, um, you can actually get properties where you've got a really nice home to live in that are all land value only. And that, if you can get that one thing out of, out of this, listening to this, yeah. if you can get this one thing right in life, like in your three or four homemaking decisions, that makes a huge difference over the course of the 30 or 40 years of, of, of growing your wealth. So that one golden rule there, one of the three is, in a sense, land is king and know what that land's doing for you. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that's where the value is coming from. That's where the appreciation's coming from. But also kind of understand the, li- the land type that, that you have in terms of zoning and um, what you can do with it. Yeah, so you can, you know, people will say, I'll go away do your homework, but I don't know what to do for homework. Yeah. Um, so in this space, what you'd do is you'd look at your land size and you would talk to the local council, the planning per- person at the local council will go online most most town planning schemes are online and look what the zoning is and have to have a look and see what what that underlying land value is and what you can do with it understanding that that's the most important part 
it's a bit like a car with an engine it doesn't work you know like the engine is your driver of growth your land is your driver of growth so how how scarce is that location which now we're starting to get into a, sort of the next step is you want to buy a bit of a collector's position a bit of a scarce location so you know we all know sub and and this applies to just about every suburb so obviously scarce locations are on the beachfront and on the riverfront Okay, so they're the prime scarce locations. But from within, within there, every suburb has the streets that may be opposite a park or right near the school and near the park and across the road from the park or, um, or you know, in a, in a really good pocket, really small cul-de-sac, really quiet. You hardly ever get any homes turnover in there because people want to be in there, etc. I'm looking for the, co- the location and the collector's position within the, lo- within the suburb. Well, you said you've been a property collector. That's the way you've, you've looked at it. Uh, you've collected those properties in scarce locations. And do they sit in multiple value ranges as well? You know, you mentioned something, you know, looking here, I can see the beach. There's yeah. only so many properties near the beach. But if I'm looking in a different price bracket, there are those things that exist as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, I've, you know, I've bought things before that you walk out of your front door and there's a public swimming pool. There's a golf course, all within 200 metres. There's a train lo- train station within three or 400 metres. Uh, there's a public reserve within the next 300 metres. And, and it's all, if you, if you drew, it's everything you want within about four or 500 metres of that property. Um, and that, that sort of location was, was knockout, had everything there, and it was mostly land value, and it was a sought-after scarce position as well, which there was only probably about six or seven that were like that in that locato- locality. So that time did the work for me there. You know, people all sweat about you know what you want to pay for it. I kind of paid. Whenever you buy real estate, good real estate, you always pay more than what you really want to. That's what I've learned over time. Um, so, but people sweat on what they pay. It's not so much what you pay; it's what you buy that makes the difference over time. So, buying the right piece of real estate, you always tend to have to pay a little bit more for it than what you really want to. Get used to it, because time will do the work for you, though. And so if I look at, say, you know, a, a little old shack on a, on a block in Triggs, you know, back in the early 80s, that might have been worth $45,000. I mean, $45,000 would have bought you a new Butte 4x2 on a nice spread out at Armadale at the same time. And, but then you wake up, you know, 20, 30 years later on, and the, the Triggs property's probably gone up to, from $45,000 to, you know, 1.2, and the property in Armadale, which has been a really nice home to live in, admittedly, um, it's probably only gone to you know between three fifty and four fifty something like that. Yeah. So you know you look at that person that bought the property in Triggs and you said, hey, you paid too much for it. And look at the person that you know bought the one in Armadale at that stage, albeit it's a really nice home to live in. Uh, or you know you got a bargain. You know how how does that bargain or how does that pay too much for it look over a twenty or thirty year period? Kind of touching on something there as well that often when we buy a place uh, that, we, that we're going to live in, it's going to be our home, it's where we're going to raise our kids, it's where we're going to grow older, we, we can get emotional as you did here, as, as I did myself. Um, but you can also maybe lose sight of the fact that this property is an investment. Yeah. Well, if I put my straight analyst hat on now, yeah. you can only have one principal residence, which is tax-free capital gain. So you make that a good one. Don't miss that opportunity for something that is actually has a capital gain attached to it over time. Secondly, you, in buying a principal residence, which is capital gains, tax-exempt, you give up the right for tax deductibility for your interest component. So you have to make sure you're getting capital gain, otherwise you're going backwards in value in real terms. So that's why it's so important to make that right decision with your principal residence. Uh, and so um, 
you know, there are ways around, you know, financing it in a clever way. And there's ways around accelerating the repayment of that debt over time as well. And we'll go into those things later on. And they're, they're smart little tweaks, you know. It's good to work hard, but it's also good to work smart. And I suppose what I'm saying today is that the right decision is working smart. And, and you know, with financing, with other things along the way, that's also about working smart as well as working hard. And you, you don't have to work, you know, um, hard only. You can, you can work smart. You can do both. Yeah. Just like with the place where you can live, you can have your cake and you can, you can eat it too. You can have somewhere where you want to live yeah. and you want to come home to, that, but that also is going to work smart for you and increase your wealth as you get older. And, and that's really comes down to the, the third point. So we've talked about, you know, sort of um, making sure that you um, buy mostly land value only. We've, we've talked about that scarce or collector's position. And the third and the final point out of the, th- out of the three is you can buy a very nice home to live in. It doesn't need, need to be a, you know, a shocking little, you know, dump that you're living in. You've got to like your own home because it is your home. And you've got to like coming home to it, et cetera, as That's well. That's worth something. Oh, and I've, I've owned properties that have been my own home that I just don't like. And I've owned properties which I really do like and, and they're nice to come home to. And I can say that you don't have to compromise having a nice home to live in. And that's the third and, and equally important principle is make sure that you actually, you know, you can have a nice home. And so we're sitting in, a, you know, in our lounge room here and it's a nice lounge room. It's very nice to live here. I like it, and, yeah. You know, and the position and location is knockout, offers something special. And I'm actually sitting on only land value, which is the bizarre thing because it's actually been rezoned along the way and it's now suitable for three apartments to be built here. So it's worth the same dead or alive. And so this is your one chance principal residence. And there are one offs. It's a bit of a one off. But they do exist around Perth, and that's what we're going to go and find. At all price points, it exists. Yeah, I like that. We're actually going to visit these places, and we're going to find them, and we're going to tell you where they are so you can look yeah. at it. And I'm really keen as well as we do that to see if people agree or disagree. We yeah. can have a bit of a conversation about it, which I think will be a good fun. The thing that I like about the three rules is two of them really speak to the analyst side, right? But the third speaks to me as a person and my relationships and how I want to live. And the understanding that there is a bit of grey area here. You don't all have to be one way or the other when you're getting it right for the home, your principal residence. Yeah, well, it's, it, look, you know, we, we do talk about people all the time and that's what I love about residential property. I've valued, you know, shopping centres and office buildings and service stations, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I like residential because it's half psychology, half, half property. And in my library of books and I've read three or four hundred books on a range of things as I've moved through growing business and taught my things in self things in life I've read a lot of books on psychology why we buy things and how we behave and how we act because that's a large part of residential property it, it is our home so it's residential property is an investment class that's not an investment class okay it is an investment class it's the largest investment class in Australia Currently, on in current day numbers, around nine $9 trillion or thereabouts. So it's three times larger than the share market in total capital value. But most of the time, 80% of buyers are just buying homes to live in. They're not analysing returns on equity. They're not looking at all the different parts, etc. They're just making a decision on, on you know, oh, you know, where is it near my family, friends, is it near the school, is it easy to get to work, etc., etc. And what, I suppose what I'm saying to you is you can make all those decisions as normal, as you make for your normal home. But you can actually get those three principles right and that can actually be a very smart financial decision within all those other parts that tick all the other boxes. 
And you can also use the same thinking if you're investing. So if you, so taking the investment principle into buying your own home, but also the right investment principles for your own home, you can use if you're looking to invest outside of your own home, exactly the same. Yeah, I like that this is where, and this is why we've called it property, people, profit. You know, the bookends make a bit of sense, right? Property, we're talking about real estate, we're going to go and see it. Uh, profit, because that's what we hope we have at the end of it. But people is a really important part of being successful in this area. Yeah, and look, you know, I suppose, you know, uh, I've been a collector of property rather than investor of property, and there is a bit of a difference. If And anyone who knows what they're collecting usually adds value. I also like the fact that, for me, um, profit is good, and I think I like to see people make money and give choices for their families, etc. And and I like to help, always help like to help people make better informed decisions. And so you know the financial implications of the decision you're making, and therefore you can make appropriate action. If it's not the best financial decision in life, then don't, don't not make it, but know that you've got to make money somewhere else. Okay, so that's how I, I I've always looked at things. But in that also, I've always defined success when it comes back to people as how you conduct yourself on the way through. So, you know, whilst you can attain you know, wealth and that can help set up you and your family and give yourself options and choices, if you don't conduct yourself in a respectful, honest um, manner, then, you know, really profit's not going to override that. Yeah. So, you know, to maintain your integrity, to main you, maintain your, your values um, whilst making some good decisions and you know, seeing your family, you know, grow and and you and your work life grow and all the other things that grow around. If you can continue to conduct yourself in a respectful manner, in a trusted manner, then that to me is success. The good human test. Yeah. So that's why I like the psychology of it. Yeah. And I really like the people side of it. Uh, so we've got the the kind of framework there. Those three things that we're going to look at. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to go for, the next few weeks, months, years, whatever, um, while we're out at different places. So we've got land in kind of one area, we've got that scarce property in another, and then we've got the home that you walk into being being happy. Just on that and on the first two, I find suburbs really interesting. I see so many stories that are this is going to be the boom suburb for 2020 or 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Does it oversimplify things if we just look at a suburb as a whole rather than maybe properties in a pocket? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because um, you know, people all want to know what the next hot suburb is, you know. Oh, where should I buy? You know, where's, what's the suburb up and coming? We love a list story. You know? Oh, yeah, and we can identify it, we can see it. You know, we know, you know, we'll know something about, might know something about that suburb. And one of the biggest stories we used to do every year was what are the next 10 suburbs that are going to, you know, be top performers for the year ahead? And people still love that story. The reality is what I'm giving here today is more a formula. And I know that formula can operate in most suburbs. And I know that I can, I can give you a suburb, what's going to be a, a up-and-coming suburb, and you can take that formula and apply it into that suburb and you can do very well. Or you could go into that suburb, which is an up-and-coming suburb, which should do well, get that formula completely wrong, and your miles will have not bought at all. Yeah. Um, so I find that, and I, know, and I know it's not that exciting and it doesn't sell, it's not a headline, but the formula will outperform the suburb. And you can take that formula to most suburbs and get outperformance in virtually any suburb as a result. So I'm not telling you you have to buy in those 10 suburbs out of the 350-odd suburbs if you want to make money. I'm saying, no, take this formula to the 350 suburbs, utilise it, and you're going to get outperformance. And outperformance means it moves you ahead of the pack. It, it means that your money's working for you. It means that you either retire with more 
retire sooner or create more wealth as opportunities for you, you and your family. Yeah. The formula is more important than just, you know, putting an X on a map in a, in a really big area. Suburbs are so big in Perth too, yeah. I feel. Yeah. It's hard to look at them as, you know, and I'm kind of looking at a few suburbs at the moment and I look at one like Bayswater mm. and it couldn't be more different from one end to the other. Yeah, and, look, and, there's, a, and there's a right time to buy a suburb and not buy a suburb as well. There's a certain life cycle of, of a suburb and certain things that happen. So, you know, for instance, you know, you look at Bayswater, for instance, right now, you've got all those train lines connecting and you've got a, a mode there of train lines coming from Forest Field and the, and the airport creating opportunities. You've got the one that's going to offshoot and head out through Malaga and Elmbrook, and then you've got the one that goes into the city as well. And Bayswater becomes a node. You don't reckon that node's going to really be a, a node that really grows over time. So whatever Bayswater's done in the past, chances are when that node... Bec- that vision becomes a reality and that node grows it's really going to grow that node of Bayswater and Bayswater is going to outperform as a, as a suburb so you go okay so Bayswater was going to outperform in other suburbs so people rush out and they go and buy in Bayswater but they buy the wrong thing using the wrong formula and they wonder why they don't necessarily make the money yeah um, so you still got to get the formula right even if you find you know the absolute gem of the hottest suburb for the next 10 years you can still get it wrong Gav, give me the, the two-minute takeaway. Give me the rundown of the formula that we've just talked about. Yep. So you want to buy scarce position, scarce location in, in what suits you for your own home. You want to buy uh, mostly land value only, and, and ideally it's somewhere between somewhere north of 70% of the total value tied up in the land, ideally 80 to 100%. And thirdly, you've got to actually buy something that you actually want to live in. So it's a home you want to live in. It might not start that way, but you're going to always make it that way if it doesn't start that way. So if the first two are right, but the building lets you down, then make the building into a home that you enjoy without sort of overcapitalising. All right, 30 years as a valuer and working in the industry, uh, and we've condensed it down to a very simple kind of formula that we will expand on in the next few weeks. Has there been a property, I'm sure there is, that you've missed out on that you still think about? (laughs) <laughs> How long you got? <laughs> <laughs> that many? Yeah, yeah look, uh, you know, I remember, I remember seeing a property um, years and years ago. Um, had was going to have some high tension power lines go over the top of it. Anyway, it didn't, and large tract of land. Um, and on the basis of the high tension power lines, you couldn't do anything with it. But without the high tension power lines, it became a, a significant subdivision site. Um, I, I didn't didn't buy it. Um, but the week later, the, the power lines um, came off. And they weren't going to be put through there any longer. And this subdivision site went up fivefold in value overnight. I can also say that when I started the business at the early 90s recession, I had a property, the first property I bought actually. Um, I bought because I was waiting for the, the sewer to come through and I could develop four units on it. And, um, and whilst awaiting that, I, I just couldn't hold on to it any longer because financially I was really stretched mm-hmm. and, I, and I had to sell it. And it was the start of the recession and I had no op- other option. There's no jobs around, so I had to set up a business. <laughs> it was the only way I could earn any income. Um, I sold that property. And um, within 12 months, the sewer came through and that value went up four times. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it would have been handy at the time, I can tell you now, because I was scratching. <laughs> I was scratching and, and scratching to survive. Yeah. Um, and so, look, you know, th- I've sold properties at the wrong time. Um, I've missed some properties. Uh, but also collected a lot of lot of good stuff as well. So you're going to have a few mistakes. Uh, you're going to have a few things that you miss. But one thing I've learned, when you miss a property, 
there's always another one around the corner and it's yeah. usually a better one. So don't sweat it too much. Don't beat yourself up. There's no. always another opportunity. Yep. And you, go, you learn through the process too. If you don't learn, that's when, you, that's when it's a failure. If you learn something from it, no decision you make can be a failure. Yeah, well, that's the goal here. We're going to dig into things and, uh, and you know, pick your brain a little bit and unpack that experience, Gab, so people can learn a few things and put it into practice uh, to help themselves out. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to taking the theory out into the streets yeah. and showing you what I mean and actually finding these properties and showing you how to, what it looks like to buy an outperforming property sets you, yourself up financially, sets your family up and gives you Great options in life. It does exist. Maybe we'll all buy one together. A triple P purchase. <laughs> a triple Is P that legal? Yeah, well, <laughs> Can you do that? Well, maybe it'll fund, maybe it'll fund <laughs> this and keep it on the road. Maybe we should just buy one great property and that'll fund this thing and it'll continue. To, we could give it away for free then. How good give would that this information. be? Yeah, well, there you go. There's a, there's a charitable... Notion. The sky is the limit. Um, <laughs> Gab, it's really good to have a chat to you. Really kind of set up what we're going to dig into over the next few weeks, months, and who knows how long. Um, do you know where we're going to go next week? Have you got an idea? I'm, I'm thinking we're moving up the coast. Okay. Moving up the coast. So, so we're going to move through price points. We're starting high. And next time I think we'll go to Triggs. Okay. And we're going to a price point at around about the $1 to $1.5 million mark. Right. So if you're in that bracket then probably imperative you listen to next week and i've got a couple i'm thinking and, and i've lined up already there not your old shack is it Gav? No, no it's not that's since long gone and someone's built units on it good luck to them they made a fortune out of that at my not at my expense but good luck to them i always <laughs> uh, always like to see people do well financially um and then we and then from there we'll move through and we'll move next bracket we'll move is to 500 to a mil Okay. And then we're going to move into the bargain basement, you know, three hundred to five hundred thousand, and it does exist in that price bracket as well. And that's when you start to, you know, a lot of investors start to look at that, you know, that bracket as well. But there's some really good options at that price point in Perth at the moment. So I really like that space. So, and they do exist. We're going to find them. Yeah, I like it. We're going to move through some suburbs. We're going to move through some price points and some markets. I'm going to look at some situations too, touching on that people side of it some classic situations that people will be in and finding the right property for them. So it's going to be exciting too. I don't know yeah. where this is going to lead, but it's going to be good fun. And I'd just like to weave in some negotiating skills on the way through from people who do this for a living. Yeah. I'd like to weave in some financing skills through there a little bit. Maybe there's a little bit of taxation issue in there as well. So we're going to weave in all the smarts on the way through. Just pick the best of the best gems on the way through so it'll give you an all-rounded um, experience and hopefully help you make a better informed decision. I love it, Gav. Uh, I feel like you're, you're a salmon at the moment. We're, we're at your home where you live now and then we're going to kick things off where it all started. You know, it's full circle. It's going to be lots of fun. Um, so good to see you, Gav, and thanks for inviting me at your place. Thanks, Jamie. I'm looking forward to the journey.